Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director at Allidade. For this show, I talked to Dr. Tom McCarrick, Chief Medical Officer of the Vanguard Medical Group in New Jersey, about advanced care planning. Since the terms can be confusing, I'm going to start with defining the terminology. Advanced care planning is just what we call it when someone makes plans in advance in case their health declines. It's a very broad term. It includes anything you might think of that relates to preparing for unfortunate health outcomes. It might include completing legal documents, but it doesn't have to. The most important part of it is figuring out what you would want if you got sick and couldn't speak clearly for yourself, and letting your healthcare providers and your family know what those wishes are. It's not intended to be a one-time thing, since people's choices change depending on their life stage and what illness they may be facing. So again, advanced care planning is the overarching process of making plans for this. Advanced directives are the specific legal documents that put those wishes into writing. These vary by state, but generally consist of two parts. First, what is called the healthcare proxy or healthcare power of attorney form, where you make clear who you would want to make decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. And the second part is a living will, where you make clear what specific things you would or wouldn't want done if you got sick. People often think they need to do these with a lawyer, but that's an unnecessary expense. You can do them with your doctor or even just on your own. You do need witnesses, and in a few states, a notary is required. There's also a form called the Five Wishes, which contains the information found on both a healthcare proxy and a living will, and it's written more clearly and less legalistically than most of the state-issued forms. It does need to be purchased. And finally, most states have some version of what are called POLST forms, which stands for Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatments, which is a form that a doctor and a patient complete together when a patient is facing serious illness. The POLST form makes a patient's end-of-life wishes into a medical order so that an ambulance service or an emergency room can, in real time, give the patient what they want. What you're going to hear next is Dr. McCarrick talking about his experience with end-of-life conversations and what we can do as physicians to help this important part of healthcare take place more often. I'm here with Dr. Tom McCarrick, who's the Chief Medical Officer of the Vanguard Medical Group. Welcome to the ACO Show. Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here today. And, you know, I don't actually know if you know this, but we probably wouldn't have this podcast without you. You had asked me last year to make a recording on substance abuse treatment for doctors at Vanguard that they could listen to on their commute. And after we made that, that was when I realized we could just make an ongoing podcast. So that's how the show got started. So thanks for that. You're very welcome. It's great. And I've really enjoyed uh, listening to uh, all the podcasts that you've produced so far. So first, can you tell us a little bit about the Vanguard Medical Group and your role there as Chief Medical Officer? Sure. Uh, Vanguard Medical Group is a primary care-led practice in northern New Jersey. We have about 10 offices and about 50 providers. And uh, the practices have been in the community for more than 30 years. And over the last particularly six or seven years, these uh, separate primary care practices came together uh, to form what is now Vanguard Medical Group. And we care for about 70,000 patients uh, in our communities. And we are releasing this podcast right before April 16th, which is National Healthcare Decisions Day, which is part of something called the Conversation Project. 
the Conversation Project is our group dedicated to helping people talk about their wishes for end-of-life care and National Healthcare Decisions Day is intended as a specific day to call attention to these issues and educate and encourage the general public and healthcare providers about the importance of advanced care planning. The goal is that more people will make their healthcare goals known and to encourage providers and healthcare facilities to learn about and respect those wishes, whatever they may be. So I want to start by asking, what is your experience with having these sorts of conversations with patients? Um, we've been having these conversations with patients for a long time. I think it's just that the uh, the importance of them and the fact that uh, many patients' wishes are not respected at the end of life is, is putting a focus on this. So I think we're doing this more often. And I think that many patients, many families are more sensitized to this fact. So it's actually making the conversations go a little a little more easily. How do you bring it up with patients? Um, there, there are a number of different ways we bring it up. I think that the best opportunity is in the annual wellness visit. Uh, we have a question about advanced care planning on our on our annual wellness visit questionnaire that we give to the patient. So that helps to prep the patient, and then we use templates in our EHR that help guide the clinician through the annual wellness visit. But that also includes uh, um, a discussion about advanced care planning. And when you bring it up with patients, do they seem to react well to it? Do people feel taken aback? What's your sense? Um, very rarely taken aback. Um, patients, I, I think, are more open to this than providers would, would guess. And I'm happily surprised that when I start the conversation, uh, I find that many, many times now the patients are, are really aligned with what we're saying and are open to having the conversation, are actually eager to have it. Many patients have had experiences, bad experiences, uh, with uh, end-of-life situations for their parents particularly. And so as soon as we start the conversation, they immediately connect and uh, want to make sure that, uh, you know, that they don't have the same experience themselves. So I think these conversations go much more easily than, than providers will expect. I also feel that as providers are practicing for longer, that they may become more comfortable, comfortable themselves having these conversations. I think as a young physician, I was less comfortable. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I find it easier to jump into the conversation and connect more quickly with patients. So I think just uh, time, being, uh, you know, being a senior physician does make it a little bit easier. So it may, it may be a little bit more difficult for a younger physician to have some of these same conversations. That's interesting. And what do you mean when you say that people may have had bad experiences with their parents' end-of-life situations? Uh, I, I see that there are many, um, many of my patients uh, have had an experience with a parent or uh, someone close to them that was hospitalized and uh, various family members wanted to be involved in the decision making and uh, the patient's wishes themselves were not really honored. Um, it, was, it really turned into a vote between various family members and Often the family member who knew the least about the patient was most vocal and was trying to save the patient. They would often feel these family members who were coming from typically outside, um, were not as connected, lived further away, would get involved and would often want to come in and uh, extend the patient's life or provide treatment that the family members who are most close to the patient did not feel were, uh, were the right thing to do. 
um, but often they would um, often they would would uh, speak out above um, the other family members' wishes, and it would also create conflict. So it, it turned out to be a bad outcome both for the patient but also for for family. There was conflict that did not need to be there, and the decision making was never really around what the patient themselves wanted. It was what the other family members thought was the best thing to do. So you think that if it had been documented, if everybody knew what the patient wanted, it might have avoided some of that conflict? Yes. Yeah. Either docu- document it or to have, the conver- have to have the conversation. I mean, that's the whole idea of the conversation project, which we, you know, we use extensively in our practice. But the idea is to, is to try to keep the conversation focused around what the patient wanted or would have wanted. So the most important part is is actually for the family members to be on the same page before they get to this situation. It's really that's really where the work needs to happen. It's not it's not as much at the end of life when there are decisions that need to be made. The work really needs to be done well in advance of that. And it involves the patient actually thinking about what their wishes are and then having those conversations with the family, not just the, the healthcare proxy who should have the power to make the decision, but with really the rest of the family who may want to be involved so that they're aligned and at least the rest of the family knows that the spouse or, a, or a, uh, an adult child will be uh, making the decision, but that the whole family is aligned and understands how this will work um, and are constantly keeping in mind that the patient that the the role of the healthcare proxy is to be the voice of the patient it's not to make the decisions on their own um so again this starts really well in advance uh of end of life um now the the numbers are that somewhere south of 50% of patients have ever had a conversation with their doctor about this do you have any thoughts on on why it doesn't happen more often what what some of the barriers might be um, well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not surprised at that number at all. I, th- I think the the barriers are is, is, is one that it it sometimes is hard to segue into this kind of a conversation. If we see a patient who's near end of life, um, I think that does provide a, an easier opportunity. But for most for most of us, this conversation needs to start well before that. It's best to do these ad- advanced care conversations when we're healthy. And there's not really a structured opportunity. We're doing chronic care illness and episodic care um, and even physicals, but it, it's, it's not really on the agenda. And that's why I come back to the idea that the annual wellness visit is a perfect opportunity because we make it an agenda item and then we prepare the, the patients and the, and the families. In our practice, we have, we've created a couple of uh, videos about advanced care planning, which we uh, run on TVs that provide education for our patients. We run these on the TVs um, in each of the offices. So by the time we see the patient, they've already had some preparation to have this conversation. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great opportunity um, to do this. But a- absent the, having a, a planned way to do it, it, it doesn't, um, it's hard to do. It doesn't, uh, it's, it's not going to happen naturally. Um, and it can see it can be uncomfortable for the provider to start the conversation. You know, we're not trained in this um, and, and how to start these conversations or even how to advance the conversation. And I, I think there's a, I think one of the things that we need to do as a healthcare community 
is actually learn how to have these conversations and how to advance the conversations. There, then there's been some great um, recent discussions about how advanced care planning is actually an incremental process. And I think that's correct, is that we, we take the advanced, we take the annual wellness visit as a great opportunity to find out where a patient is at. Um, some folks have not thought about it at all. Some folks have had their attorney draft a document which is uh, safely locked up someplace, but they don't really remember what's in it. Um, and I think it's, a, so it's a very good starting point to see where they are. Do they have something meaningful? Most importantly, are they sensitized to the fact that the most important part of this is actually not the document, it's the conversations and the understanding that's been developed within the family. And then I think from there, it's an incremental process so that every annual wellness visit, we go back and we see, can we advance that conversation further? And then for the patients who are approaching end of life, it's not a one-time discussion with the family. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not about waiting until the patient needs a pulse and then creating a, a document and a care plan around that. It's an incremental discussion that we, we have over a period of time that lets the, the patient and the family start to come to grips with what's happening and start to think through what their goals are, what they would want, and for the physician to help guide that conversation and, and, um, and help the family through this. Yeah, the annual wellness visit is a great time to do it, in addition because there's no copay to the patient if you do it at that visit. Exactly, exactly. It's a, it's a perfect opportunity. Um, the issue, you know, the issue with doing it is, is also time. I, I mentioned training and that we need to learn how to do this and we need, and I think the best approach is an incremental approach rather than, you know, a one time let's sit down and create an advanced care plan. Um, but time is the, time is the other issue. Annual wellness, there's a lot to cover in annual wellness visits and it's, it's hard to have a, a meaningful conversation about advanced care planning um, within the, the guidelines for the, for the coding for the, for the advanced care plan. Yeah, as you know, in 2016, Medicare began reimbursing doctors for speaking with their patients about the end-of-life wishes, what we refer to as the advanced care planning billing code, uh, which is actually the origin of the false claim of death panels that came up when the Affordable Care Act was being debated in 2009. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a billing code that pays physicians pretty well, but it's not used very often. Um, you know, we've talked now about some of the barriers. Do you think that this, the amount of money that's paid for it is just not enough of an incentive to overcome those barriers? You know, any, any guesses why it's not used more often as a billing code? Um, I think it's because the measurement of, uh, the measurement is the wrong measure. The measure in the billing code is of time. It's supposed to be up to 30 minutes, has to be at least 16 minutes, and it has nothing to do with the quality of the discussion or what's really accomplished. And I think that it's, it's not, it shouldn't be the expectation that we are filling out an advanced care plan document uh, when we're using that code. It's really about spending enough time with the patient to advance the discussion in a meaningful way. And I, and I guess CMS has a hard time figuring out how to, how to do that so that they're getting value out of that code. But that's really what should be accomplished, not, again, not 16 minutes of time. Yeah, there are a lot of these things that CMS comes up with that you can see they're not ideal, but it's, it can be hard to have a better idea around it. You know, I, I agree with you about those challenges. I'm not sure how to design it any better if I was, you know, if I was the czar of, of the billing code. Right, right. I, I, I agree. I agree. But somehow, somehow we need to work with that um, and 
but to get the, to get meaningful advanced advanced care planning conversations going uh, over a long period of time. So somehow we need to reconcile that as as physicians. And there can be other ways. I mean, you can use support staff to do it. As again, again, we use uh, these videos, which uh, some of our offices put them onto a um, a uh, little pad device and then show it to the patient. And that helps lay the groundwork uh, for the conversation with the patient so that the physician could jump to the points where their their particular skills and having this conversation are, are most relevant. Yeah, I've seen those videos of yours. They're great. They're very impressive. Thanks. Thank you. And it's um, uh, one striking thing to me is that most physicians have actually done their own advanced care planning. So we've, we have, as you've mentioned, seen some of these cases where it, the end of life doesn't go well if your family members and your providers don't know your end of life wishes, but we're not always as good at, at making sure as our patients have it. You know, we want to avoid that scene for ourselves and our own families, but, but somehow not, not, not as much for, for our patients. And I have wondered if, if doctors are afraid of um, putting their own values on patients where they know that, that they don't want the end of life just strung out in, in an ICU, but are afraid that if they bring that up with patients, that they'll be putting their own values on what the patient wants. I, I don't see that happening. Uh, you know, the the conversations I, I I do probably four or five annual wellness, uh, annual wellness visits a day, and I try to have the an advanced care planning discussion with most of those every day. So I am having many many conversations, and. The majority of the time, the conversation is pretty easy, um, and the patients are aligned. I'm not trying to convince them about what they should do. Um, once, once we just start talking about what happens at end of life and what may happen, most patients have insight into that today. Most of them have their own personal stories, their own personal experiences, and don't want what they've seen. So. I think these conversations are, are can go much easier than we would expect, and I think physicians just need to to um, try this, and um, what I think they'll, they'll experience the same thing that, that I'm experiencing, and you know once you see that the patients really want to have this in place and they want to be protected and they want their families to be protected, they don't want they don't want discord at the point when their end of life is near. They want their families to come together and and just honor their wishes. Um, they want a happy ending, um, and I think physicians just need to work through this. And I think that's what they'll that's what they'll see. Now, one of the problems that accountable care organizations were designed to address is the issue of alignment, where much of the healthcare industry has not had the right incentives when it comes to treating patients. It's a system set up to provide a really high level of care when people get sick but not necessarily uh, to keep people from getting sick. And particularly around end-of-life care, where the system is rewarded for doing as much as possible for as long as possible, even when it may not help. And providers in an accountable care organization can actually do well financially by just making sure patients get whatever it is they want, even if it's less care, even if it's comfort care at the end of life. And that's one of the reasons I think ACOs are uniquely positioned to address end-of-life planning. Do you think that goes into, you know, you know um, do you think most providers are aware of this, that, 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 that being part of an ACO can help incentivize them a little bit more to take on these issues or it's these other barriers that you mentioned, just time and 
uh, you know, the daily pressures? Um, I think I think time and the daily pressures are actually the the biggest obstacle to really helping patients with this. It's just the day to day work of taking care of you know, chronic diseases and many patients and probably most primary care physicians are seeing uh, too many patients for them to be able to deliver the best value all day long. So I do think that's the biggest obstacle. At the the ACO goals with uh, improving end-of-life care, I think, are aligned with what patients want, but they're also aligned with what primary care physicians want. Primary care physicians go into practice really to take care of patients. They didn't go into it as primarily as a business model. And um, primary care physicians want generally what's best for their patients. Most of us have taken care of patients for many years and have relationships with patients where for that patient, we want the best outcome for them and for their family. So I think this is very much aligned with uh, with what we want to do professionally. And I think it's these other obstacles that we need to work through. Um, and I, and I, I think that uh, I think that if we can somehow figure out how to remove the barriers, how we can have more time to have these conversations, how we can better support the primary care physicians in uh, having these conversations, delivering them. If we can talk about the incremental approach to uh, advanced care planning conversations, I think that the the, uh, primary care physicians will be professionally happy with with what they're doing. And at the same time, we'll be providing the best care for the patients and the best outcomes for the ACL. Has Vanguard had success integrating palliative care and hospice into your work? Um, interesting that you should ask that. Um, we're working on a project now uh, to try to uh, deliver uh, better palliative care. I think we, we, we're familiar with the idea of palliative care, but we're, you know, as primary care physicians, we have some somewhat superficial understanding about it. And probably most of us have hospice patients uh, periodically, um, but we're actually working on trying to formalize our thinking on that at Vanguard. We were fortunate enough to be able to hire a family physician who uh, trained at uh, Sloan Kettering in uh, a palliative care fellowship and has joined us. And we are now using her skills and knowledge to try to develop a palliative care service within the practice. So um, I think that's not something that most practices can do easily. Um, I, it's, that, that's, it's tough, but I think that um, primary care physicians do need to uh, learn some more palliative care skills. And hopefully as we move to more team-based care in, in a value-based care model, we will be able to bring in other team members who can support uh, better palliative care services uh, directly in primary care. Allidate has been working on a way to help identify patients who are at risk of needing end-of-life care, really trying to see who may be at highest risk for serious illness or death within the next year. And we want to get this into the provider's workflow so that they can make sure to have advanced care planning conversations with their patients. Are are there other things that an organization like Allidate can do to help medical groups? I think the education is, is the the next biggest piece. I, I still don't see any real formal education in advanced care planning conversations. 
you know, there is a lot being written about this, as I mentioned earlier, and that there's a lot being written about the the need for an incremental approach to this. Um, but I, I think we need more education. I think physicians need to need to learn how to have these conversations, how to start them, how to have their practices support this, so the burden of doing all this does not fall entirely on the on the physician whose time is is, is so. Uh, it, it needs to be so well managed. Um, so I think I think ACOs can help with this, um, but again, it's in it's mostly in, in education and how do we how do we provide this as a practice as opposed to as individual physicians. You know, we we've talked some about the structural and emotional issues behind this. So I'd like to think a bit about the data. You know, is is there a role for data in this? Is there any information? That would be helpful to get to doctors that that might prompt this. I think I think data can be helpful, not in the sense of numbers, but I think in helping to prompt us to to have these conversations. Sometimes we get stuck in taking care of a patient's chronic problems, and visit after visit, we're trying to address those problems: their pain, their symptoms of their chronic diseases, and and sometimes there's just not an annual wellness visit, you know, being done at that time for whatever reason, maybe because the patient has all these problems that we're trying to deal with. Um, and sometimes we need to be prompted, you know, should we be having a, an advanced care planning conversation? And I had a patient just yesterday who came in who is 90 years old and very ill and, and near end of life. And I was going through her symptoms and uh, her or functional status, and and suddenly a son says, "Should we talk about an advanced care plan?" And I wanted to hit myself in the head and say, "How come he had to prompt me to do that? I should know that I need to be having this conversation with her." And so we got started, and I gave them the five wishes from the conversation project and the conversation project booklet, and I actually gave them a draft of a pulse. Uh, form because I think that's going to be something that's appropriate for us to do so they could think about that and we're going to schedule a follow-up visit to discuss this. But the fact that the, that I was not thinking about that because I was so focused on the patients of the problems to me um, was a lapse for me, but I think that that could have been helped. I could have been helped along if somehow there was some prompt in the system that said, uh, Dr. McCarrick, should you be having, there's no advanced directive or advanced care plan in this patient's record. Have you had this conversation or is it time to have this conversation? So I think there is a role for data in helping us to identify those patients and jog us to uh, to start those conversations with the patient and the family. Well, Tom, I really appreciate speaking with you and thanks for your leadership on these issues. You're very welcome, Josh. Okay.